here and ain't no wannabes here With some not so nice advice for your writing career To be clear, no punches will be pulled But the punch may be spiked How they like before they get on the mic To my left we got the mighty Mer Lafferty And if I piss her off, believe me, she'll come after me And her co-host met Evan Wallace on the right Yes, she may be half as hype as she could take him in a fight So settle in, folks, buckle in and boot up Time to meddle in a way to make your writer shut up It's hard work, but the perk is that it's fun and exciting Facebook will still be there when you're done writing Ditch Diggers! And all of the sound effects are gone, so we don't have any sound effects from Saturday night coming, and uh, everyone's unmuted. So, hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> I am delighted. Uh, Station Eternity comes out tomorrow, and this is our big launch event. Um, and we're, I wanted to get some very clever sort of intersectional type writers who dabble in a couple of different genres to join me today. And uh, so we got Chuck Wendig and Sherry Priest, and they are both so nice to come on here and play with me. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, so yeah, let's congrats, see. book coming out. That's exciting. Thank you, thank you. It was, uh, yeah, it's it's been in the works for so long. I actually, it, it's still hard to believe, even though I, I've got it. It I, yeah. it exists. <laughs> it's here. It's pretty. It's it's, nice. it's a great cover. That's yeah. a great cover. Um, but yeah, with, with pandemic and struggling on some edits and all of that, it, it's taken a long time to actually get from beginning to end. And when people say they, they want to know how long it takes to write a book, I never know what to tell them. Do you guys know that? No, no. I, okay. I kind of thought I used to, but then not only did like wanders happen, which broke any, any idea I had of how I write a book, but then there was as you know, a pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, which turns out was sort of a area of effect, miasma of trauma and weirdness. And it's kind of hard to be creative in that. Indeed. And Wanderers is huge. I mean, how long did that one take you to write? Um, non, maybe six, eight months on the first draft and another six on edits, something like that. Yeah, it's 280,000 words. It was very long. Wow. For something that big, that's still. Yeah. I think last time I saw you in person, Chuck, you had finished it or we're turning it in or something this was like new Maybe. york comic-con years oh my gosh. 2018 or something sure that could be right <laughs> i don't the know before times. the before times it's all yeah, i know pain. i know back when you know you could hug somebody and touch their flesh and not go yeah like, what well i'm dead now yeah that's it <laughs> anyway yeah. Let, let's let's be official uh let's introduce ourselves i'll start just in case anybody just popped here <laughs> my channel for some reason uh i'm mer lafferty i am a podcaster and author and editor and live streamer and um i have a book coming out tomorrow and it's uh called station eternity and it's essentially murder she wrote meets babylon 5 and i have here with me chuck wendig hi it's me chuck wendig i write big books and i cannot lie uh i wrote wanders and book of accidents and Dustin Grimm and Wayward is coming out in November, uh, the sequel to Wanderers. And it is also, uh, uh, as the kids say, a heckin' chunker. Is that what the kids say? That's what the kids all say. I'm, wow. I'm down sure? with the slang vibes. It's all vibes and mm -hmm. chunkers. And that's all they say. All vibes right. and chunkers. 
And also with me is Sherry Priest. Hello, I am Sherry Priest, and um, I also write books and stuff, not typically as large as Chuck's most recent. Um, I've kind of played in every genre, give or take. Although anytime anyone says I've read your book, they mean Bone Shaker, which is a steampunk project that came out a dozen years ago now, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> I bought a house, thanks. Uh, not in Seattle, <laughs> in Tennessee, in Tennessee, not not here. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I'm mostly known for steampunk or horror or Southern Gothic or whatever, but uh, I don't know, kind of the last few years, it felt like maybe the world was sort of just dark enough and mm -hmm. uh, maybe it was time to do something a little more fun, a little light. And so I, I did this little mystery kind of inspired by something that actually happened to me, a very strange travel experience where a travel agent started changing my bookings uh, to get me out of Texas. And uh, like, I, it was it was so wild. I was just like, stop by stop by stop, just like narrowly missing and barely catching. And and this this voice who's coming through my my phone just keeps changing things. And it finally, turns out, sorry, uh, she's a psychic who consulted with the Houston PD for years and years. And she's like, oh, yeah, sometimes it really comes in handy with uh, travel agenting. <laughs> and so I wrote this, this <laughs> these mysteries about this psychic travel agent who teams up with uh, the Seattle PD. And the first one was called Grave Reservations. It came out last year around this time. And the sequel is called Flight Risk. And it will be out in the middle of November. It was supposed to be out November 1st, but uh, it is being printed overseas. And at present, the, the printing run is stuck in a port somewhere. So Somewhere. Publishing. Yay, <laughs> publishing, indeed. Yay, publishing. You need a psychic yeah. port agent. It'll be fine. <laughs> So uh, it's it's interesting you mentioned that, Sherry, the, the whole, uh, it looks like the world might be dark enough. How has the pandemic affected your writing, both of you? We'll start with Sherry. No, um, I don't, I don't know, it's kind of hard to say. We sold Grave Reservations kind of right at the beginning of the pandemic. I think and so the you and I were like at a con Having right, con, uh, confusion in Detroit. Yeah, because we ended up riding back to the this. airport. I'm together. sorry. I'm just, yeah. This means nothing to anybody watching. No, no, no. I'm I, like, I remember that. I was only thinking about it because you just now prompted me, actually. Uh, but yeah, no, we were. That was the last event I did. Wow. You know, it's it's my little Michigan event that I do pretty much every year, or I did, and and so I'm like, all right, we'll do something a little lighter, a little more fun, you know, get to be a little funny. Uh, and uh, I opened it with a joke, actually, that that happened to me on that trip because when you're cleaning everything up during the pandemic and you're not going anywhere but so much of this is set around travel stuff <laughs> you're like uh crap what happened to me the last time i flew uh but while that particular trip was being rearranged in every direction at one point i was i was at the, the airport uh the, the the booking table you know and the flight attendant is behind the counter she's typing at like 130 miles a minute she's got these big fake fingernails and clickety click 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 and so she's like, all right, I've got you rerouted. You're going through Hartsfield. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go through Atlanta. <laughs> and she she doesn't even look up, doesn't even blink. She's like, sweetheart, you can go, die and go to hell here in the South, but you're going to stop in Atlanta first. <laughs> I was like, that's I'm true. I'm keeping that. That's I'm true. going to keep Good that. Line. That's, for, that's for me now yeah. <laughs> to use and steal. <laughs> Magpie, but it, so it, was, it was weird and then like the the only other thing i really wrote I, I did two projects that haven't sold yet which maybe says everything you need to know about my pandemic writing i, I decided that since i had the time i was gonna like dive feet first into this project of the heart this that i have been told is radioactive given its uh its subject matter it's about the survivors of a school shooting in the 90s who are now adults and have teenage children 
and uh, their teenage children are, uh, are, you know, kind of facing some of the same things in this same school with a bunch of unresolved stuff. And uh, no, we, we literally got one piece of feedback that said, do you understand this is radioactive, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought it was cool anyway. Uh, and apparently I was wrong. It went out on, on two rounds of submission. And we uh, those were the fastest no thank yous I've ever gotten in my career. And I've been doing this more than 20 years now. Wow. And, uh, so I decided to do a different kind of weird little gothic. And, and it was it was right around last year at this time, or a little before it, I guess, where I was going to take a writer field trip. I had to get out of the house. <laughs> So I called up my old friend, Kat Richardson, who used to live here in Seattle and now is out in Bremerton a couple hours away. And we took a writer field trip to, I mean, the godforsaken ass end of Bumblefuck, this little tiny island at the far end of Puget Sound. Uh, it's not incorporated. There's no cops, no firefighters, no, like the roads aren't really marked. There's only two of them and they just go north and south along this island. Oh. And we stayed at an old alcohol plant, which sounds cooler than it was. It was like industrial alcohol from sawdust. It wasn't like, you know, sawdust yeah apparently it's a thing and they do it for like industrial grade ethanol or something i, I don't know it was a historic plant that had been refurbed so, so we took this field trip light, lighthouse Sorry. right <laughs> no, no no it's like something that will, will power a lawnmower not something that you should <laughs> gotcha rate. gotcha um, but uh no so we did that and then i wrote this project kind of based at that little island and uh, that is out on submission right now. It's it's not like, and that also failed. It's like, no, we only just sent that out not long ago. But still, I'm like, come on. Some of this pandemic writing has to pan out, right? I mean, God, it's been like three years. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. But so that and flight risk, which which is completely different because it's more like great reservations. It's funny travel stuff and cop stuff and mm -hmm. and 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 travel agent stuff and and weird stuff around this little uh, municipal airport south of Seattle. Oh and, God, that'd be uh, such a good TV show. I, re I mean, I know like we write books, but again, but that'd be a great I think so series. too. Yeah. <laughs> and your yes. lips to God's ears, as they say. I hope. But yeah, I that's hope. been my pandemic writing experience. So there you go. <laughs> Chuck, what's your pandemic writing experience? Oh, uh, initially oh, horrible. Like I couldn't do it. I, ha I was on, you know, I had to write Wayward and uh, the pandemic was beginning and I was like, Every day I'd be like, oh, well, today's not quite today. And I'm, I'm like, you know, you know, Murray, you get it. We were, you know, in game writing and we had deadlines uh, out the yin yang as mm -hmm. it were. And so like, you know, I, I felt like prepared for this kind of thing. Like I hadn't written through all kinds of other issues in my life in the world. And I was like, it'll be fine. And I'll just get back to it. But then like day after day, I'd be <laughs> like, is today going to be the day I'm going to write? And I was like, no, I don't think it's going to be. Uh, and then thankfully I had edits land in my you know, inbox for Dustin Grimm and Book of Accents. My brain worked really well with editing at that time, maybe better than it's ever worked with editing before, because it felt like it was like a mechanical thing. Like I could sit there and mess with this puzzle and not think about iterating new material. Productive um, but not creative. Yeah, yeah, it was the yeah, exact. I, it was like, I do I'm, the same thing sometimes. It's like tinkering on a lawnmower narratively. So um, not that I tinker on any actual lawnmowers. That would be a <laughs> very big mistake. Um, so I did that for a while and then there was still more not writing. Um, and finally I sort of got around, I think it was like September, October, uh, after the pandemic had begun where I started to kind of finally take the first tentative steps into wayward. And I, I at that point was viewing it like an injury. Like I, I had, uh, the world and I, and my creativity had been injured and you can't really just like sprint on that shit. You gotta, 
you limp along a little bit. I mean, you have to move it, but you can't go marathon running. So uh, I would write like 100, 200 words a day and then slowly started to kind of increase and get that. But it was very inconsistent to be like, and then maybe I'd have like a 2000 word day and then I'd drop back down to 500 words. But it was just like any direction, any movement and momentum was a win for me at that point. But uh, so when I finally finished it, like, I don't know, not nine months later, something like that, I, I remembered almost none of it. It was this the bizarre experience. Like I finished it and it was over. And like, I turned it in and I was like, I have literally no idea how this is. I don't, I usually have a sense like, oh, it's good, but can you, it sags here or needs this shoring up or maybe this, this was just like a, I don't fucking know. I don't even know if it makes sense. I, I, so I turned it in and when I got a really fairly nice edit letter back, I was like, thank God, because <laughs> I really was sure that this was hot garbage. Uh, so thankfully it didn't seem to be hot garbage. So uh, fingers crossed that remains true when people read it next month. Well, it's funny. I was dealing with um, new a new agent and a new editor during this time, and um, so there was there there was you know uncertainty on the level of COVID, and then uncertainty on the level of what's more like to work with. And um, I'd sold the book on proposal. Not even like a full outline, just a proposal. And while that sounds sexy as hell, <laughs> delivering on that is really hard because when you tell somebody, you know, if you say to somebody, fruit, everyone's going to have a different different idea. And even yeah. if they, they all think apple, Chuck knows, they're going to think a different apple probably. And mm -hmm. so if you sell, you know, here's an idea I have, they're going to come up with, you know, their Bananas Fosters while you're making like a blueberry parfait and this might well then the weird thing is like you tell them a year in advance i want fruit and they're like great but then like a year later when it's time you're like i don't want fruit anymore <laughs> so when you go to time to write that book you're like i told you about a book i'm past it now <laughs> like, I'm, yeah. I'm out of the mood but now i owe it to you so shit yeah oh exactly once i got i got the response of are we sure we want fruity anymore yes. And it's like, oh God. Um, <laughs> like, oh no. Yeah. So uh, that was that was my struggle, which was writing a book that was not what the editors had in <clears throat> mind. And um, I'm very happy with how Station Eternity turned out. Um, my editor was very patient in working through everything with me, but it was hard. It, it was hard. It killed my self-confidence because I had two projects I was working on too. My other one was the, uh, the Ophelia Network, which was my Blue's Clues meets 1984 novella that came out in May. And uh, that one also went through uh, some major edits. And the funny thing was, is I got paid really well for it, except I had to rewrite it twice from <laughs> scratch. Oh no. So instead of got paid really well for 20,000 words. I got paid okay for 60,000 words, 40 of which were never seen. Yeah. So that was... Pour them into a hole. Yeah, yeah exactly. No. So This is why, like, whenever you get one of those discussions online about advances and you know, <laughs> huge advance, I'm like, oh, you just, you don't know, you sweet summer children, what goes into any book, much less, you know, I mean, obviously bigger is going to be better in that regard just for, you know, affording life uh, in general. But sometimes like, that's a huge advance. Those authors are rich. I'm like, oh, no, I don't think you understand how advances stretch out like taffy over the over the word count in the years. And yeah, tax payments and the yeah. agent commission and the yeah, it's all chunked up in weird little ways. And mm -hmm. 
uh, Sherry, uh, BJ has said in chat, I will be very disappointed if neither Grayson nor Lucy appears. Can you uh, s satisfy that, please? Thank you. There's Grayson. <laughs> he is. Hey, Grayson. Grayson. Like, huh? There he is. Hmm? All right. Hi, handsome. Look, you have Boy, Grayson. Family. You, you got like a tail tap out of him, and that was kind of the confused, what, why are we... Fly <laughs> back down? Uh, hey, great, got... now I think he wants oh. to leave. Oh. BJ, we oh, blame no, you. Good. Yeah, come here, come here. Sad. He's a little dumb. Aww. Come here, buddy, come here. Uh, and thank you, Jim, for here putting the uh, audible link in chat. Really appreciate that. All right, I'm going to let him out, because now it seems okay. like he wants to leave, That's but I'll fine. be back. That's fine. He's like, you have woken me. I must leave. Yes, Go exactly. Ahead, um, so yeah, that was that was my my challenge. Those two projects, and now I'm like I'm afraid to sell on pr proposal anymore because yeah, it, it is not even like I've lost confidence in my ability. It's like I don't know if what I have in my mind that all the little vague things that are just kind of boiling right now that I can't tell you yet. I don't know if that's what you're thinking. So maybe I should just write it and then give it to you. And I know that's not how this business is supposed to work, but. But it goes that way once in a while. Like if you've been working with an editor for a really long, like for a really long time, I worked with uh, Liz Garinsky who was with Tor and then started Erewhon. And I mean, we worked together for like a dozen years and we actually hit that point where it's like, Liz, I don't want to write this. Can I write something else? <laughs> and she'd be like, ah, what do you got in mind? And I'd give her a couple sentences and she'd be like, yeah, do that. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's, I mean, obviously that's not something that everybody gets all the time. And, and since she left the company and we haven't worked together since, and it's been largely newer editors for me. And when you don't know each other very well, you're kind of figuring out where your boundaries are and yeah, right, like how hard you can push back and how much feedback you're willing to accept and still keep this as a thing that's yours. Yeah. And it, it can get fiddly. Well, it's funny when I, I did that with, a, oh, go, go ahead. ahead, Chuck. Oh, I just, I did it recently with a writing book. I was supposed to be writing a book, oddly in theme with this um, uh, little little chat here about uh, genre writing. It was going to be a sequel to Damn Fine Story. And it was sort of about how you apply some of those principles in that book to specific different genres and subgenres and so forth. And then, uh, you know, the pandemic happened and I was, and then Writer's Digest went insolvent and then got picked up by Penguin Random House. And it turns out then they were like, hey, we still want that book. And I was like, well, I had written that off entirely out of my brain. So then they're like, are you going to still maybe write that book? And I was like, I, I guess I owe you a book. So I wrote an <laughs> entirely different book. I did not write that book. I wrote a book about gentle writing advice, which was not at all what they had asked for or I had pitched or they had paid for. And I was like, please let this work. And thankfully, they liked it, I think, more. But that was definitely like a, <clears throat> I did this instead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it was... Um... I turned, I turned it in with the comments of, I know this book is flawed. I work, I, and I, I remember I specifically said, I look forward to working with you to, you know, make it better. Like I, this is perfectly like, I am open to all the things you have to say because I know the book needs work. And I think the book still needed so much work that she called my agent first to go, is Mer going to be okay with the amount oh. of stuff I have to suggest? <laughs> and I'm like, but I said it. So, uh, but yeah, she was very patient and, and very kind. And I am very happy with the, um, with the, with the, with what 
I got out of it. Um, which is funny. This in slight slight topic change. What's funny is um, Sherry and I see each other online daily ish. You know, we chat very frequently, but we don't always chat specifically about projects. And I realized Sherry hadn't known what this book was about until no about idea. ten minutes ago. <laughs> And so the cover was so cool. I saw it everywhere. And I'm like, I should probably ask what this book is about. <laughs> so I figure it's I should, very I should, nifty looking. I yeah. should give the 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 elevator mm. pitch, which is uh, Murder She Wrote Meets Babylon Five. Um I do want to say this is a button I did not come up with. I tried to think of all the buttons and I didn't come up with them all. But uh if you look on my channel, twitch.tv slash mighty you'll see the uh if you go into past the videos I already made, also called VODs, um, you'll see Station Eternity Live, which we did on Saturday night, where I took the chapters uh, introducing the two main characters and uh, made them into an audio drama, and then we performed it live on Saturday night, and it was awesome. Um, and that that's that's also a really good introduction and boiled down to you know who these people are because i took the idea of the amateur sleuth who has to solve a murder or more any every week on tv or every volume in a book series and uh sort of as they say in our business hung a lamp lampshade on that trope because i thought if somebody actually had that happen around them it would suck they would be very unhappy, life would be very stressful, their family and friends would disappear if they didn't die, and uh, they would basically be a social pariah. And so it being, uh, I decided a couple of years after first contact when alien, alien sightings are commonplace, and, but aliens are so far more advanced than we are, it's like, they can come here, but we can't go anywhere else. So it's like, just like, we can't stop them, so the aliens are just, they're being touristy over at the Grand Canyon and stuff, and, uh, so she finds out about this alien-only, um, Babylon 5-type station and decides, maybe if I go there, people won't drop dead around me, and, uh, so she does, and it's also about a guy who has the bad, bad luck of being in a, uh, party, with this character and when <laughs> the lights come up he's holding the dead body and so he runs and actually gets picked up by some joyriding aliens drunk on lava um <laughs> who are on autopilot it was kind of a mixture of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and splendor and misery this this scene um <laughs> so it's it, it's sentient ship deciding to pick him up and uh just you know, law enforcement was not happy when they found out <laughs> that their main main person was uh, abducted by aliens. So they end up on the station together. Neither of them wants humans to come, and humans show up because, you know, I'm not going to write a story about a woman who escapes her weird no. uh, murder mis murder magnet no. type situation because that would be boring. Yes, yeah, so it's it's as someone said in chat, it it is called the Mid Solar Murder series. Uh, th that was all you needed to hit pre-order. I will have to tell my friend. Um, <laughs> I'm a notorious pun hater, 
And mm. I have a friend who delights in this and loves to tell puns around me. And when I was talking about this project years ago, he decided he was going to call it the Midsolar Murders. Mm. And um, we ended up calling the series that. So I have to remember to uh, thank him whenever I can. Well, I mean, the and murder mystery ends. thing has a lot of pun pun titles, and yes. uh, I think that's totally n- nailed it. Yes. Oh, we went back and forth for like two weeks, me and my editor and and, and agent, trying to because the original title for Grave Reservations was uh, far fetched. Uh, after a furniture import store in downtown Seattle that closed years ago, but I thought, what a great name for for like. <laughs> A travel agency you yeah. know but there's a hyphen in it and uh basically distribution marketing was like sometimes a hyphen in a title can cause search algorithm problems oh god <laughs> certain software that. like for book ordering you know they'll try to order the books but with or without the hyphen you know it can get confusing oh. so we would really like something else yeah and i we seriously went back for it it's like it was like a couple of weeks just throwing the worst dumbest puns at each other that we could possibly think of and uh, I, I was sitting outside of my deck, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, uh, with a little bit of weed and maybe a little bit of rum. And just I just had the lightning strike uh, of, you know, yeah, I got grave reservations about, you know, it's like, oh, it's perfect for like a travel agent for your reservations. Ha, ha, ha. And uh, so a pun is, is not a bad thing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And honestly, uh, I think I Midsolar Murder sounds fantastic. <laughs> I know puns aren't bad. I think I see puns <clears throat> as I see... Um how I saw Adobe Flash, which is everybody loved using it and almost nobody used it well. And when I saw a really good Flash design page, I would be totally, I'm on board. This is brilliant use of this tool. Sure. But I didn't see a lot. However. So that's kind of how, if I see a good pun, I will be delighted to, to share and point out that I am not the fun hater people think I am. But, uh, can I tell you the puns I hate are the ones that are too, they have to really stretch it out and it feels like it doesn't make any sense, but they just like said the thing. Mm-hmm. Like a pun is way too convoluted and complex just so they could put the thing in its yeah, space. Yeah. The only person who's allowed to do that is uh, Colin, what's his name from whose line is it anyway? A mockery, Colin Mockery. Yes, right? he, yeah. he, has a, he had that one setup about like somebody who steals a bunch of trinkets from a store and the Irish cops, I don't know, but the punchline was it was a knick-knack paddywhack. Yeah. And yeah, if you do that, it's, it's gotta be good. It's gotta and, be and like- so yeah. fast yeah. off the cuff, you know? I'm like, all right, you are the only person alive who's allowed to do that, sir. That yeah. tracks. Well, it's Colin Mockery, I mean. Yeah. He's a master. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah so we, were, we, we did mention, um, tropes and murder mysteries and stuff people love and we had talked about you know this beside despite the fact that we are all speculative fiction uh horror sci-fi or fantasy authors we all do love murder mysteries and um we were talking about two of the best things on tv these days i don't know if the after party counts but uh in the spring apple tv had a show called the after party which was a sort of what is it called rashomon type storytelling is that what it's called Uh, yeah splintered narrative with yes. untrustworthy narratives. Sure. So everybody had um, a, guy's bear, a guy is murdered after the 15-year high school reunion. And then you see the evening from everybody's, all the suspects' points of view. Yeah, and, and stylistically, it changes stylistically for each yeah. into almost like a different sort of genre of storytelling. It's yes. great. 
Yes, we have the rom-com, we have the um, the thriller. The animated. The animated yeah. was so right. good. We had so the good. musical. I bought the entire soundtrack mm-hmm. for those three songs. <clears throat> oh, I, didn't realize I bought the soundtrack to Girls 5 Eva for the same reason. <laughs> I heard Girls 5 Eva is great, by the way. I oh my God, it. it is it's so great. Peacock, right? Because we just got that. Yes. What is okay. that Yes, one? it is. Okay, Girls 5 Eva, picture it. Bunch of ladies right. our age okay. who were in a girl group in the 90s. And uh, circumstances bring them back together. They're surviving members. One of them is dead now. Uh, as far as you know, I, I really thought maybe by the end of the second season they were going to bring her back, but apparently not. So I'm not spoiling anything for anybody. Uh, but these five ladies, it was Girls 5 Eva. And um, if you just just look up the theme song. So it's Sarah Bareilles. She writes all the music and stuff for it. And she's so freaking funny. And it's like, going to be famous five ever because forever's too short. And it's exactly that kind of cornball. Wow. And, and they really get into how, like, back in uh, their 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 misspent youth, a lot of their songs were maybe not things they would want their own children to listen to. Like, one of the songs <laughs> is, like, Dream Girlfriend, Because All Our Dads Are Dead. <laughs> he gave us some advice. We don't remember what he said. You know, it's... <laughs> It's it's so wow. good and so funny and so charming, and um, and kind, and 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 fair to everybody. I think for the most part, it's got a bunch of great guest stars. And uh, Stephen Colbert plays uh, a, a drop-in character who is a Scandinavian, like the famous Scandinavian songwriting dude who writes mm. all the famous songs. Right? I mean, cannot recommend it enough. It's not very long. There's only two seasons of it so far, and it is just a delight. Sorry, I did not mean to derail, but yes, go watch that. <laughs> awesome. Well, what did you guys oh. going back to the after party? Um, yeah, after party. What what's what struck you about it as I, I kind of saw it as as groundbreaking. Um, be, I I don't know. It, it I have I've had to try to work through it. But what stuck out to you as this is a special thing? It it felt to me like. A modern, lighter telling, perhaps, of and then there were none mm. without the body count, yeah. which I realize, yeah. or because it, it, and then there were none. You know, it, the cash shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. Um, in this, it's more like your suspect list shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. As you get each individual biography, you start to. I, I think you as audience, and I realize that in some ways. Uh, we are maybe not the ideal audience for TV uh, mystery stuff because because if we've written that stuff, we start to see the seams and we start to like mm-hmm. guess what the tells are going to be. Um, but as you get each individual biography, I started to eliminate suspects in my head. Like, all right, probably not that one. Probably not that one. Uh, I, almost like I don't know. But 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 the individual biographies and each scene is its own different thing, and each person has their own separate story that is plugging into a larger story. Yeah. But it's it's so much fun and the characters are so unexpected in so many ways. I, I really liked that nobody was as 2D as you were initially mm-hmm. given to believe or suspect. And once once you get everybody's POV, you see everybody is a fully formed member of this after party. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, but they're not yeah. on an island there in this one rich guy's house and they're all trapped there because of the police and, you know, the lockdown. So who has her own vision? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so good. She was funny as hell. Yeah. And and no. dude, um, 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 what's his name? Uh, uh, the main guy who gets accused of it. Oh, he has an odd name. Oh, funny black guy wakes up with the Richardson? whiskers drawn on. Yeah, he's on, he's on uh, Werewolves Within. Um... Yes, Werewolves Within, and he was on Ted Lasso as like 
the oh yeah the, 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 yeah the easier oh, that's your, right yeah, yeah. right right i like i was like holy crap this guy he's somebody I, like i never recognize him every time i see him he just yeah. disappears into every he pops up on um i think you should leave sometimes the sketch comedy. yeah 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 great yeah he hosts the uh, baby competition, which is such a <laughs> no. I can't think of the character's name, but he oh, was, that's right. I saw was really that tremendous. Yeah, to to tell that story kind of from the accused's point of view as he's watching everyone else and trying to figure out who did it along with you because he knows he didn't do it. Yeah, or he's yeah. pretty. <laughs> uh, I I it was the stylistic changes, the storytelling changes because it was such a clever way to help you understand the characters in addition to doing something different and keeping it fresh so because like and it's like every character sees themselves as the hero in their own story but how do you adapt the hero in their own story to a murder mystery where kind of no one is a hero and someone killed somebody and it really <clears throat> pretty fascinating you know broken mirror version of but and it's so funny like it's just it's great yeah, yeah. um and they do manage to wrap all of those genres into the murder mystery um even as a it's, whole it's like the hub. Of, yeah it's, it's yeah like it didn't a, feel tacked on it felt a, a, you know purposeful and appropriate yeah um jean ralphio from uh you know parks and rec you know. yeah, my, yeah. My, my favorite example of how at least Anique, and thank you, Jim. Uh, Anique, yeah, we have uh, Sam Richardson is the, Sam is Richardson. the actor. That guy's amazing, and he's done a bunch of great voice work too. He keeps popping up in animated stuff I've been watching lately. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, my my favorite thing to that that showed at least Anique that his point of view was not the only one of the evening um, was when, in his point of view, they're being chased by the big bully who's yelling out the car, I'm yeah. going to kill all ya. Right. Yeah. Kill all <laughs> he was a koala. And yeah, then when we see the story from his point of view, his daughter's in the back <clears throat> seat. She had uh, given Anique her little co stuffed koala, and then stuff happened. And so when Anique left, he still had the koala. And so at the light, he's yelling, koala, I need the koala. Yeah, and yeah. there, it, it was, that was a beautiful, see, that that's the kind of, of wordplay I like. That yeah. was just very clever. Yep. And um, it's, yeah, I heard they're doing another one. And I think Tiffany. Same Hage cast, I heard. And uh, yeah, of course, a different cast. Um, that was sad because I fell in love with that cast. I want a show about Walt. They had yeah. the guy that nobody yep. remembered ever. Yep. They didn't remember him in high school. They didn't remember him. It was his him. house that they had that high school party in and nobody knew, you know. Remember, and, yeah. and and he what he's wandering around, you know trying to say something and then going, Walt, I'm Walt. And now whenever I feel like overlooked or anything, I just start yelling Walt. And that Walt. makes me feel better. He's, he's so overlooked. It's almost science fiction. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I really like about that show is it, it pushes the line just enough where it doesn't feel for a murder mystery. It doesn't feel overly serious or overly rigorous. It still keeps its logic. So it doesn't feel unbelievable, but at the same time, it's like, it's pretty loosey goosey. Like it's fun, silly, um, even though it's murder. Yeah. Yeah. Walt was kind of the, the silly version of, um, I got, I read this years and years ago. Forgive me if I get it wrong. Uh, the, the game and book Neverwhere, where the guy like starts oh, vanishing and yeah. people can't detect him. And he keeps like, Hey, 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 I'm right here. And they'll notice him, but only for a few seconds. And then he's lost again. And I was like, Walt is the funny version of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's tragic, but hilarious to us. Yes. Yes. There is a point. We feel of view very sorry for you. <laughs> there, there is a point of view where there are puppets. 
and right um in the the person whose point of view it is doesn't interact with walt but you see a walt puppet wandering by in the background going walt walt and it's just it's it's beautiful um one thing also we wanted to bring up in murder in common day murder mysteries that's not quite everything we're always the the the, the standard that we're used to uh, is only murder in the building. Only murders mm. in the building. That's still a weird title. I was rewatching the first couple of episodes and realized how they got with that. It's like, we, we don't want to cover Central Park, only murders in the building. And it's yeah. Yeah. still an awkward I saw thing. an interview with Steve Martin talking about it because I didn't get the title either. And I kept yeah. tripping over it. And he's like, no, no, no. The whole point was these guys are old and they don't want to leave their homes. So they're <laughs> that was only literally his pitch. He's like, I don't, want to, I don't want to film it anywhere else either. He's like, I largely want to film inside a single building. <laughs> Right. Wow. We're lazy. I'm we're old, old now. We don't want to I want to be right here. Yeah. Yeah. I love that approach. It's like, man, if seriously, think of how many lives could have been saved if Jessica Fletcher had been like, I'm just going to stay right in my house. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, I do. I do discover. I, I do discuss that that possibility in the book. Um, it, it makes for lonely existence. Very lonely and sad. Um <clears throat> Yes, B. Don't 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 spoil me anymore. I uh, I I haven't gotten to the end of season two yet. I'm about halfway okay. through, I think. Oh but... yeah, no no spoilers on either season. But it's a, I love that show. It's a great show. Yeah, and, and, and the way it, it, it's a nice study in how like we, we talk about like closed and open fantasy. Like, uh, is society aware of werewolves? Is society aware of vampires? That's open. If they don't, then it's closed. You know, mm-hmm. and and mysteries will do that too sometimes where. You're introduced and, and maybe the audience knows all along who did it and maybe they didn't. So I kind of think of those as open and closed as well. And um, Murders in the Building does such a nice job. I, I think especially, I want to say especially in season one, but I also liked the way they circled back around in season two of like, all right, well, you think you know who the all the players are, but I'm going to introduce you to a couple of new ones here who may intersect the plot in ways you hadn't anticipated. Yeah. And sometimes that can feel like um, it's going too far afield, but I think they did a really nice job of keeping everything tacked really, really closely to that building and to that murder and to those people and, and bringing forward the characters in the story who you might not have noticed otherwise, but who played an important part. Um, God, and it's so many great people on that show. Oh my God. So many. Yeah. yeah. The two Martins, I mean, <laughs> on the Martin short alone, but then Selena Gomez is like the best. Yes thing on that show she's so great and it does a really good job too highlighting both her character and the sort of the way she acts into that role um you know she's loyal really, for them yeah she, and she's also really the one who has that like well you're you know bloody mabel you're around all of these bad situations and then whatever's in her past come comes up and it's just like so she's the one where all the baggage gets kind of hung on yeah it's and a, in season uh, two you get more of steve martin's too though with yes. his yeah. not stepdaughter and all that yeah, and Martin Short gets some things. Yeah, that's really this they is do, true. They do a really good job of tying all of these situations to the characters' histories, and not necessarily in a way that makes it obvious or like direct, but it all has like a gentle gravitational push on how it all happens and why it happens. Yes. Um, in a moment, I want to do the the rough description of only murders in the building um and mention what i like about it but uh we have had a a a request in chat to summon evil myrrh and uh, <laughs> evil myrrh gives terrible writing advice and when i have a guest i welcome my guests to also give their version of the terrible writing advice or they oh. can disagree with evil myrrh or they can just sit back and wait until i take this ridiculous mustache off 
Oh man. But, uh, to to summon evil murder, Joey has asked, "How do you <laughs> deal with keeping suspense for a reader in a murder mystery?" And I think step one is know that your reader is a fucking imbecile. They don't understand anything. They don't. You're you're probably the first book they picked up because they thought it was a cookbook. And because a lot of mysteries have like food involved with them. So they probably thought it was a cookbook and they picked it up and they're looking for the cupcake recipe. And um, so you can basically say who killed people on like chapter three and they won't notice it. And um, <laughs> you will have, you know, it's, it's, you can put it on a billboard. You can have people mention it and that will make people well, clearly they're not going to say the murderer in chapter three. And so they won't look at that person for the rest of the book. They'll be like, oh, that's, that's, the, that's the red herring. Because they'll also be looking for a recipe for red herring in there. And so if they come across it, that's what they'll think it is. And so um, just you just have to know that your reader is too stupid to get most of what you're talking about. So yeah. do either of you have... Um, uh, uh, any thoughts? Evil writing advice? Evil, Evil writing advice? Yes. Well, yeah. regarding uh, building mystery, keeping suspense, or uh, any other bad writing advice, Chuck, you've got a ton of good writing advice. Sure I, have, yeah, I, can do, I can definitely do bad writing advice. I mean, um, sure. Uh, do I have to shave my mustache? If no. I'm doing <laughs> no, you don't have to. I, I didn't, I didn't warn you. So there's nothing. Yeah. You don't have to have anything ready to uh, no change your opinion. opinion yeah, I think... Yeah, I think you just uh, you just never you keep the suspense always going and you you do that by never solving the mystery. That's the avant garde way of a murder mystery. You're like, I'm not even going to tell you who did this. I'm just going to keep lying to you this whole book. And then you're just like, dun, dun, dun. And then but you never get to the solve. You just do that eternally. Nice. That's how you that's how you drag out a series. So you drag it out forever. Yeah. Ten books. Money. money, never money, money, money. Uh, <laughs> suggestion is bad. Chuck adds a beret. Hmm. Oh. I have one, but uh, yes. Yes, Sherry. I'm looking for. A... I don't. <gasps> oh, Sherry does have something to say. Sherry's got something. Sherry. Uh, yeah. Jim. Jim says in the chat the Twin Peaks approach. Oh yeah. How about? How about? Go. Hear me out. A top hat. Oh, nice, nice. Evil Sherry in the top hat. I like it. Evil Sherry. Mm. I forget why I even own this. Um, <laughs> to summon evil sherry so long yeah obviously. it must be an old steampunk thing um evil sherry would say yes write to your worst reader 100 percent of the time assume they're assume they're not paying attention um also what if what if we brought back the choose your own adventure what what if like what if the reader gets to pick who did it what if they get to pick the ending that they like best like clue Yep. Great murder mystery. Sure. It was, hey, it was done great once. It can be done great again a bunch for you, I bet. <laughs> yes. I like it. Well done, guys. Well done being evil on on uh, on, on an instant. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so thank you for, for summoning evil Mer Joey. That was that was fun. Biden all over the place here. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, the one thing that uh, I liked about only murders in the building, um, what it subverted because I recently realized I was, I was trying to come up with a, a episodic type story murder mystery and it wasn't fitting. And I realized it was because I was not thinking in the 
<clears throat> excuse me, one murder per episode kind of way. And Only Murders in the Building is a murder mystery, <clears throat> but it's, um, there's one. It's like the mur murder happens in episode one, and it's not solved until the very end of the season. And um, that, it's a different kind of storytelling style because it requires you to still keep things focused on the murder, and yet... You're going to have to do a lot of, of misdirection and character building um, <clears throat> to keep the story going for as many episodes without ever solving anything. And uh, one thing that I think a lot of these either amateur or pro sleuth stories has in, is another trope is they don't grow as people because that's not what you're mm -hmm. reading for. Um you know, Hercule Poirot is going to be fussy about eggs <laughs> any any time. He's never yeah. going to grow out of that. And he's never... And uh, I think there's a big deal in Curtin when he actually shows that at least there his his mustache was false in, yeah. in that book. But um, it's like there's no character growth because that's not what you're looking for. And in Only Murders in the Building, that's almost... A, entirely what it is because you've got these three people who are growing as a result of the friendship they build the it, the journey is the friends they make along the way it's not the murder yeah yeah i think that's a definitely there's a there's that mode of storytelling where like the characters change the world or the world changes the characters and um for my mileage i'm always more interested in the characters changing mm -hmm. just because it's kind of part of the journey we want to make i don't necessarily want the like unswerving sleuth slash hero slash whoever comes in and dissects the situation and figures it out i really like that sort of overarching character arc and um it's the most impactful thing and especially since i think we again like the after party points out we're all kind of characters in our own mind like we all have this sort of perspective on ourselves that maybe we are people who change or can change throughout uh, our experiences and so that's the most interesting to me with uh only murders that it it does that and it does it really well. Well, and after party almost like on a surface level looks like it's doing the opposite of that. And it's showing, right. look, look at these people. They haven't changed since high school. Look at yes. them. They're yeah. all exactly yes. the same people. Yep. Yeah. But the closer you look at them when you get their individual episode, because everybody gets their own episode pretty much, long yeah. story short. But um, it, it, when you enlarge to show detail, th then you can look at, oh, no, okay, I get it. And And even if they haven't, actually grown over the course of the story your understanding of them is deeper and it's mm -hmm. it, it kind of scratches that same itch but but it, and i do think though that murders in the building and one of the things i liked about the second season without any spoilers is some of the characters who kind of ended up in season one in one way that i thought well you know well i, I guess that's it for them i guess that's all we need to know about those people mm -hmm. i guess uh you know we're done here but then they're still living in the building yeah. in season two yeah. New <laughs> and you're still going to interact and they're yeah. still going to be there. And season two um, kind of picks up for some of those characters and brings them back around and brings brings them into the story fold in a way, for, for lack of a better way of putting it. They, they kind of get pushed out of the story for reasons at the end of season one, but they kind of get brought back into it for season two in a way that I thought was um, both sympathetic and profound and interesting and funny. Yeah, Because uh, it's not easy. It's, it's not like, well... All right, we all live in the building. We're all friends. It's all good because no, too too much has changed for that, y'all. But <laughs> there's even a moment where it's brought up that someone's trying to do yeah. the 
hey, we all got through this together. Let's hang out. And mm -hmm. it does not work. <laughs> no. It doesn't work out. No. No. Um, Counterproductive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so reminder, if you're listening to this later, we are doing a launch event. We're talking about mysteries and, and books and stuff, but we are talking about the <clears> launch <throat> event of Station Eternity, which is, if you're listening to this later, it's available now in your local bookstore or your uh, online bookstore or where you get audiobooks or where you get ebooks. It's a lot yeah. of places. So if you like murder mysteries or uh, books that point out tropes and try to subvert them uh, or space and some really weird aliens, uh, I, I, I recommend it, but I'm biased. But uh, yeah, it's called Station Eternity by Murr Lafferty. And I'm pushing people to go to Flyleaf Books to buy because uh, I'm going there tomorrow to sign a bunch of books and have a author event if you're local. So um, do they ship? By the way, Fly yes, they ship exactly. People? That's why I'm and pushing people, people to go. Right anybody. That's right. Anybody. So do you, can order do you customize Fly your signatures? Like, will you sign stuff to people? For, if they ask, do you have an yeah. arrangement with the personalized? Yeah. If they ask, yeah. Personalized stuff. Yeah. Magic. I've never had, you know, the Gaiman level of line, so I can... Actually, Gaiman does do the personalization. <laughs> I've never had the whoever won't do personalization level of line because the line's too big. So if people want me to write something, I will. And if I do something... One time I had a friend who's... I won't say her name, but it has far too many vowels for the name <laughs> it is. And... um she admitted that that it was, be, you know, her father didn't quite know how to spell it when he filled out the, the birth certificate. <laughs> and I knew all of this. And when I signed her book, I still spelled it wrong. And so I ended up writing this big, long thing about <laughs> how it was your father's fault that I spelled your name wrong because it shouldn't have been spelled that way in the first place. And I'm very sorry that I've misspelled your name, but you know, it's not all on me. Your father needs to learn how to use vowels. And Every once in a blue moon, I'll get like a message from somebody going, I think that this is a fake signature because you spelled your name wrong or, or the name is spelled wrong. And it's like, look, I got a lot of vowels in my name too. And, and when you're in a hurry, the I's, the E's, they all kind of start to look oh, alike. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, listen, I, that is a virtual guarantee that that is an authentic copy. I mean, what are the odds that somebody is going to fake it and spell it wrong? No, that's me. I did that. <laughs> so <laughs> let me just validate that for you. Yes. Yes. Uh, Mike Underwood is in chat saying hello to both of you. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. <laughs> oh, uh, and because Gail pinged me on Twitter, I should say. So Gail Carriger and I, Carringer, Carringer, God, I don't think I even ever I knew. I the hard G, Carriger. Or is that the soft G? It seems right to me, know. right? No, yeah. she's a hoot, right? Yeah. So yeah, for a she's... hot minute, it, she's awesome. For a hot minute, back around 2010, 11, 12, there was a rumor going around that she and I were the same person because we're both women of about the same age, writing steampunk. Uh, we both had technicolor hair sometimes and glasses sometimes. And uh, so people would ask us to sign each other's books all the time. And unto this day, definitely for me, probably for her too, I will sometimes get one brought to me that she has already signed. It's like, hi, Sherry, <laughs> how you doing? Yeah. It's like, hi, Gail, <laughs> just signing some copy of Solace for you. Yeah. So there's a bunch of those out there. When we did finally meet, it was at a panel at SteamCon in Seattle. It wasn't their first year, it was like their second or third year. And the room was packed. And I swear to God, it was literally just people who wanted to see in, in life that we were not the same person. 
Wow. There were you still rumors. Never, never seen them together. You need to see yes, them. Yes, it's just like, we have taken photos together with each other. And there's a really famous, relatively famous for purposes of this conversation, when that made the rounds for a hot minute where somebody's like, hey, Sherry, throw the warrants. I'm like, yeah. And Gail's like, um. <laughs> I was like, sweetie, you're hanging 10, California girl. Come on. It's like, hmm. But no, she's always a good time. She did Confusion, actually, in Michigan a year or two before uh, the last one that we did, I think. Yes, we, we Sherry and I uh, heartily endorse Confusion in Michigan. It's an awesome, it's probably the best little con I've ever been to with the most pros and pro-friendly stuff going on. Um, but yeah, Gail is one of the godmothers of this podcast. She and Howard, oh, I was having lunch with she and Howard Taylor, I 2014 or so, I think, yeah. and um, was talking about how we needed a podcast about the business of writing and thinking I should bring Matt, Matt aboard. And this was just a random sort of idea I had. And both she and Howard were just like, do it, do it. And they were very <laughs> pushy. So um, they, <laughs> because I often go, hey, I wonder if I should do X and then never do it. Uh, I, I credit them with helping me make the moves to actually make this podcast happen. So, yes, Gail is, is well-loved around here. Well, we owe them thank you. Yes. yes. Yeah. So uh, what else do we want to talk about, y'all? We've gone for an hour. Chuck, you haven't sworn at all. I, 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 I know that's what are your you fans okay? are here for. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, I put them all in the books now. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm going to die. I'm going to profanity diet i'm not really my my 11 year old is starting to kind of like swear a little bit like and he's kind of trying to like not know no. that he does but it's like you're like yeah i know no he's like he it's for him it's unusual like he's been like such a i would never and then it's like god he does this thing in the morning it's like uh when he has a like mondays are really the the high note for this one he likes to fake asmr and he'd be like all right we're gonna do our asmr he's like we're just gonna say uh, three goddammits and five cleansing Jesus Christs. And so then he just screams it in the car on the way to school. Like the ASMR ends and suddenly profanity is screamed uh, loudly. Oh, that's a great like hype up to go to school or work or anything else. Yes, and he, it seems to actually like click him into place to be at school. So it, I love it this. I love works. this so hard. Yeah. I yeah. just this. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. See, that's ASMR yeah. I can get behind. I yeah, right. I find that's it what I said. I was like, yeah, put this on. Creepy, but... Heavy metal ASMR. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, going back to signatures real quick. What, one thing that's funny about me is is Murr is not my legal name, and so when I have to sign like a check, I have to sign another name, and then when I sign my autograph, I have to make sure to sign it Murr, and it's it's. There are some out there, but my my handwriting is so bad anyway. It would be impressive if you could spot it. But uh, <laughs> it's it's yeah. Sometimes when I get into like I just had to sign a whole bunch of book plates, um, and and had to remember every time just just M U R. That's all. Just just half of murder. That's all that's you gotta all you do. It's all you have to do. Yes, half the murder. Yeah. I was doing sig sheets for a subterranean book a long time ago. Uh, when So subterranean will often release special editions of books uh, or anthologies uh, that are all signed by all the authors on the inside sheets. So they mail those sheets 
to each and every one of us. It, it, it turns into this whole chain, which is great. But when you've done like a thousand of them and you're not really super paying attention at a certain point because you're doing this while you're watching TV, uh, sometimes you'll realize you've signed on the line that was not for you. So you start leaving notes <laughs> for the next person like, hi, whoever, I'm really sorry. You can sign on my line. <laughs> so somebody out there has a bunch of copies of that sort of thing. It's like, eh, what you going to do? <laughs> I have to say it makes them more valuable. Probably, yeah. Like those stamps sure. that are printed wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I usually, uh, when I'm signing things like that, I usually just write M-U-R in capital letters, and that's it, because they kind of all... A cartouche. Just, yeah, they, I mean, they all, Mur. you know, like, merge, all, they all merge together. It's just like scribble, 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 mer. So Mur They merge the, together. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, not really. Your face does not say well done. Yeah, I know. It's fine. Hmm. Uh, so tell me something, and I know this is just completely out of left field. Uh, what do you think people don't know about the publishing industry that they should know today? I feel like that's a whole hour of intake therapy, like just level it. setting for your new therapist. All yeah, all of it. Yeah. yeah, all of it. Listen, it's why you need to have writer friends. I, I saw there was a keynote address, and I won't name the author, and it's not someone in our genres, but it, and it was a great keynote address. It was very funny, and but it was a good portion of it was devoted to like why you shouldn't be friends with writers because writers are neurotic messes, and you should be friends with like plumbers and boxers, and they're going to help you with your fiction, and they're going to be a distraction for you from the things you do. And I think that's also great advice. But at the same time, if you have normies in your life. And you try to tell them literally anything about the publishing industry. Like you can just watch their eyes sort of either glaze over or they just like, they start to get worried. They're like, is this all real? Like, is this your industry? You're like, yeah, this is all. So you want, you really, that's my advice is like, people don't understand how badly we need to talk to other writers sometimes. Cause like, they're the only people who are like, yeah, I totally, I know what the horror is that you're going through right now. I get it implicitly and intimately. It's also nice to hear when you, when something bad happens to you, like getting orphaned or fired by your yeah. agent or something, and you think, I'm the only writer that has suffered this because everybody else has their shit together. Right. And you get to hear, no, no, that that's that that's yeah. happened to many Totally people. common, unfortunately, thing, yeah. Yeah. Have you guys seen the video making the rounds? I saw it yesterday of a young woman whose book came out, and she and her family oh. spent all that money and put a really big event together, and the bookstore didn't have any of her books. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, all of us are like, oof, honey, oh, been yeah. there or been real close to that. And and like, I my heart goes out to her in every possible way. But I kept seeing writer friends like, oh, my God, this happened to me for this and this and this. And, and just kind of throwing those stories out there. And it's not like it's not a competition. Nobody's trying to one up her. It's really this is the neurotic writer way of just like bringing you into the circle. Yes. See, sweetie. No, 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 no. You, now you're one that. of us. Yeah. <laughs> Her name no, is uh, Lakin, Lakin Zia Kemp. It was uh, Omega Morales in The Legend of right. Blanc. Yes, it sounds awesome. It seems like, yeah, it's a middle grade, looks great. Um, it's Fantastic. And I just, oh, God, my heart. I mean, and, and you see every now and again, well, I, I, you know, I had a reading and nobody showed. Yeah. I, what I like yeah. to tell people, I did one at this bookstore in uh, Missouri. It was Left Bank Books when I was on tour. I had four people show up and two of them worked there. And I was just kind of like making that sad trombone noise in a group. But, but George R. R. Martin, who I do some wild card stuff for every now and again, was like, oh, I did an event there once for Song of Ice and Fire. Nobody came. And I was like, 
Yeah. Yes, you have one up to me in the best way possible. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I, 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 there was an event in um, Charleston, South Carolina. <laughs> I, I left college and drove to see Christopher Moore. Uh, I think it was Fluke was coming out at that point. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, me, my friend who went with me, and like one other guy. And so he was like, we might as well just leave and I'll buy you sandwiches. <laughs> he did. We I've went to a that. restaurant I, and he bought us sandwiches. It was like. I have done that in coffee shops. I've just like brought like, there's three of us. Let's, you want to just hang out? Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, what do we Let's do? go. Yeah. Like. I think that's the kind of, that, that, those <clears throat> situations, while they suck, they are an opportunity to, like Sherry just mentioned, you can make fans for life mm-hmm. in that it case. True. And yeah. it also gives you a chance to um, appreciate bookstores and what they did to, uh, if they actually had your book, I mean, um, you know, and what they do to, to help writers. So uh, still showing your appreciation uh, and for the fans that did show up and for the people who put the thing on is a big step. I mean, people hand yeah. selling your book at a bookstore, people telling your friends, that's, that's a big deal. So, um, I, I'm guessing I'll see you tonight or tomorrow night, BJ. I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's uh, some local person saying hi. Um, yeah, yeah when Kevin came through Seattle recently, so the University Bookstore, which is kind of my home bookstore, even though I now live at the other end of town, um, they, they changed their closing hour, their open hours, so that now they close a little earlier. And for book events, basically, you got to get across downtown Seattle at rush hour. And they tend not to be as well attended as they were because Seattle treats each individual neighborhood as like the dark side of the moon. Nobody leaves their own neighborhoods ever. And they act like you're insane if you do. But um, so like me and other writer friends were like trying to sort of brace them like, dude, like we want you to know it's going to be like if if there's like two people that we're going to we're coming for you, man, we're going to be there and we'll we'll heckle you from the there's like 70 people there. Oh, wow. (laughs) Never mind. Now I feel like I'm the jerk who kind of brought you down. <laughs> like, no, no, no. I was just trying to brace you for the fact that I have seen very, very popular writers come through here. But, you know, it's just events are such a crapshoot. I mean, on that same tour where I had four people come out, I had something like 130 come out at another store somewhere else. I mean, it's it's such a crapshoot. It can be. Yeah. And the pandemic has made it only crapshootier. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like most of my events are virtual and well, like, okay. So when Grave Reservations came out and uh, in the middle of the pandemic last year, when everything was still kind of hot, uh, we we're doing everything virtual from this very office. And, and right on the other side of my monitor here is a set of windows. And literally the day before my book release, a tree fell on our house <laughs> and um, it was pouring rain and it was like sliding down the windows behind me while I'm trying to talk to, and I have like buckets and, and sheeting and everything. And I'm like, is this better or is this worse than doing an event where nobody appears? I can't tell. <laughs> um, I'm trying so hard to ignore the fact that there's water flooding into my office while we're having this conversation. Wow. Yeah. Metaphorical and, logic. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a whole different set of problems in a pandemic, but. And, it, and, and then for the next day, we had the roofing guys stomping up and down <laughs> and there's like tarps flapping behind me. And so like sometimes I just appear fully blue on the screen <laughs> as the tarp slides down <laughs> over the window. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's so, fine. But at least you can't see if nobody shows up. That's true. <laughs> true. So you just have your little talk with the bookstore people and you, you, you know, 
all in a nice day. And, and like sometimes shit does happen. Obviously, like like I was saying how the sequel is stuck in a port somewhere. Yes. All of my book events are already set up for the release for this at the beginning of November. And I'm just extremely fortunate that the publisher has a like some of, of the stock has actually been been published and will be released to these stores. Uh, but it could have just as easily gone the other way. And uh, and I have seen it go the other way for people. And it's just it's such a hard industry. And it, it, there's so much uncertainty. Yeah. And um, now, what we, I, I guess what we need to bring back is um, people waiting at the port for the book that's on the ship. <laughs> Didn't they do that for Charles Dickens here? Were they yeah. just like they were waiting for the next serialized Charles Deck? Yeah. Char- yep. Dude. And uh, <laughs> you're so excited Dude, to wait for him to. to yeah. And they, you, you need to get your fans to go to the port yeah. and start like like demanding and cheering and waiting. And you need to push, rock the boat, literally. I, I think you guys are like wildly overestimating my popularity. <laughs> Even if you really get like 20 people, it would at least make the news, and that would be interesting. Yeah. Well, I, like I'm just thinking of Anne Rice showing up for events in a coffin back in the 80s and 90s, you know. And like I, I want that kind of Wuffy at some point. I, I want to be able to show up in a coffin carried by handsome men, you know. <laughs> what the hell? And then if nobody shows up, well, they wish they will. They will wish that yeah. they have. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You miss the coffin and the handsome men. That's right. Come up. Uh. <laughs> Chuck, tell us about your next book. Uh, yeah, Wayward is the sequel to Wanderers, which I didn't know that I was necessarily going to write, uh, which is kind of a weird thing. Um, but I, you know, Wanderers was a story that has an end, but also has a world that could continue and some characters that um, we could see what happens next. And so um, I always said, like, if the story had a place to go, and if obviously enough people were reading the book, um, I would consider writing a sequel. And uh, thankfully, both of those things kind of worked to conspire to uh, have me write a sequel. So uh, I did. It's a weird book to write about a pandemic apocalypse after the pandemic ended in that book. <laughs> uh, so I wrote Wanderers before a pandemic about a pandemic, and now I'm writing Wayward during a pandemic in which the pandemic is over. So obviously, I have, hopefully, I'm predicting the future in that one, not the apocalyptic part, but that. We can, uh, although I've heard this one's over too. I've heard it's just yeah, done. That's now. what they tell us. Yeah, it's just yeah. over. So congratulations, hang the banner. We did it. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it's like apocalypse and there's artificial intelligence and there's um, still uh, Nazis. It's it's good, good clean fun. <laughs> Chuck, you've always written good clean fun. Good clean, just yeah, just fun. Yeah. <laughs> Sherry, is there anything else you want to tell us about flight risk? I know you mentioned it earlier. Oh gosh, um, no! It was it's uh, it's another fun little mystery. But I, I wanted to also fiddle around with. Um, so I came out of academia, and one of the things I was thinking when you were asking the question a minute ago was, you know, uh, about what do we wish publishing yes. people knew about publishing. Yes. Sorry, go ahead. One of the things I, I would say, like that, I wish other writers knew about publishing is you don't need a degree in writing to do this. Oh, you yeah. don't need any academic connections. You don't have to do it. And some of those workshops are phenomenal and and are great. They're just so good for some people. But you don't have to do them. And, and you, you don't have to know anybody, you don't have to, you just have to go through the same set steps we all do, you know, and get out there and hustle. But, but no, anyway, so I was, I was playing with academia because I do have a degree in writing, but uh, listen, I was just good at school and nothing else. And so when they said I could keep going to school, I just kept going to school. <laughs> it's like, not really good at anything else. So I guess I'll chase this. Um, but uh, I, there was a lot going on 
in academia that people didn't like to talk about that everybody knew about. There is a, a teacher at my alma mater, um, open secret that he slept with students a lot for mm. a really long time and that he would help them get into special classes and things and workshops and help them get jobs. And uh, everybody just acted like, well, that was just totally normal. Well, you know, think times were different than that dude retired like a year ago. Okay. <laughs> um, uh -huh. mm, and he's mm. a very well-respected person who lots of people, oh yeah, have lots of great things to say about. Uh, and uh, mm, not me, cause I worked there and I knew all about him. And a lot of us did, but I, I started thinking about like ways to set a murder in that kind of circumstance. <laughs> <laughs> who might we wish to kill <laughs> and who might do it? You know, because uh, uh, some of these girls have partners who, mm -hmm. who responded very badly and would try and make reports. Some of these women have spouses and uh, some of them have family. And, and, and so when this you know, it, it basically playing with the all right, well, you know, Publisher parish, you know, academia's murder. All right, so there is an element of that in this, but there's also a, oh, and I here's the one thing I should have said in brief, real quick on the cover. There's a dog. That dog is fine. Yay! Nothing bad right. ever happens to that dog. His name is Cairo. He was named after a beanie baby that a 12 year old had, and he was found in a Target parking lot. And for the first like three pages of flight risk, he is missing. He took off out at uh, Mount Rainier National Park down the trails, and his people are handing out flyers looking for him. The only thing I'll spoiler for you is that he turns up in like three pages and he has a present for everybody. And it's a decomposing human leg. But, but he lives happily ever after. The dog is fine. And and this anytime I have animals in my horror stuff, I always heavily front load. This animal is fine. Like I, the people. Yeah. But, but I don't. I, I, the dog never dies in my book. I just I just don't do it. So but yeah, it's a it's a silly little mystery that also touches on some more serious stuff about power dynamics and who is believed and who is not believed and who gets consequences and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. So that's what flight risk is about. Yeah, the the uh, animal thing is, is a very weird dynamic in fiction. I remember I was reading the Dexter books, which were pretty good until they suddenly <clears> turned <throat> supernatural. Um, and it's, it's, Dexter's like looking for, the, he's hearing this, this moaning and it sounds like an injured animal and he's looking through these places, convinced that a dog is about to die. And uh, when he comes across the person making the noise, it's a human. The human is horrific, horrifically hurt. Just, it's awful what he did to this guy. And my thought was, oh, thank God it's not a dog. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 100. There's yeah. no faster way. Like, like, okay, I love Mike Flanagan. I think he is phenomenal. Oh, that's a, yeah, a lot of animal death. I've not watched there. Midnight, or, or uh, not Midnight, which I'm looking forward to. I did not watch the most recent one about Midnight the church Mass. and the cult. Mass. Yes, yeah. Midnight Math. No, I, I heard too much about it. I'm like, I, I can't do it. Like, there's some stuff I can kind of rationalize. No, no, I love yeah, you, man. I'm going to tune in for the next thing. Yeah. 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 There need to be like I know there's a Twitter account that's like, can you pet the dog in a video game? I think right. we have a Twitter account that's like, does the dog live or die in this story? There is. There's a website called Does the Dog Die. Oh, is there? Yeah. Okay. Well, there you oh, go. Yeah. And I've actually started doing a lot of like trigger warning type trope yeah. following. I think. Um, yeah. But it started out was does does the dog die? That's I like good. the can you can you pet the dog in a video game because there are a lot that you can. 
Yeah, and I also don't like the ones where you have to kill the dogs. Like that's no, that's actually why we quit playing Last of Us too, and we loved the first yeah, one. Oh yeah, I've heard about but that. But when when, when, that. He, when we got to the section where you're literally just killing people's pets, mm-hmm. and they're crying and freaking out about it when they find the dead dog, I'm like, you know what? I don't know. I feel like, yeah, like life's dark enough right now, and yeah. maybe life's a little short. Maybe this is not the time for this game. <laughs> and yeah. obviously, that was just me. Clearly, you know, it took off. It did great. It was wonderfully reviewed. But at a certain point, it was like, well, I, I knew that I had signed up for misery porn in some regard for this, but that was just kind of the bridge too far. I'm like, I, I mm. yeah, like Elden no. Ring was that way. You like kind of like, oh, I'm, there's these evil soldiers. All right, there's these weird, freaky harpy things. All right, and then suddenly there's like soldiers who have like kind of slightly cute, shaggy Irish wolfhounds who attack you, and you're like, what? That's just a dog. It's not like yeah. an evil dog. There's skinless dogs in the game. And well, I don't want to kill those either. All right. Obviously, it's a supernatural. Resident Evil. Yeah. Same thing. Like, okay, yeah. that's a zombie dog. That's not a yeah. dog anymore. Zombie dog. Yeah, but this is just like a, a wolfhound or something. What the? I don't want to. Yeah, sh- the sky. You just like run away. Like, I just run from the dog. Just get and, away from um, the dog. I guess Dragon Age. They've got these war dogs. And yeah. When they die, they make sad dog sounds. And I'm just like, I didn't want to do it in the first place. It's not my fault. It's sad. I I get that it's it's part of a psychological trick to draw you closer into the story and to make yourself more of a character within it. Uh, But, you know, it's 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 just not for me. And and it obviously works for a lot of people or nobody would do it. But mm, it's it's not for me. I just want to pet the dog. I just decided (laughs) I want to write fanfic about the hero that's screaming and running away from a war dog not because he's afraid but because he doesn't want to kill it doesn't want to kill it yeah yeah Yeah. i mean i've got my two house bears and like i could the the very thought of anything happening to either of them just makes me want to go full murder yeah and uh you know just no can't do it yeah like don't i have enough depressing reality in my life as it is like i know people treat animals badly i know i just try not to look at that shit as much as i i don't need it in a video game and it's like, the, like, good God help me. I actually know like the first two or three seconds of the audio for like every Humane Society commercial now. So I can just grab the remote. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> How many animals do I have to adopt and rescue so you will quit showing me these fucking commercials? Damn you, Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah. I know, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, is there anything else you wanted to talk about or mention or promote or... uh just congratulations, Mara. Yeah, congratulations. Thank Seriously, you. this book sounds awesome. And and I feel silly for not knowing more about it. Before. It's like, I keep seeing the, the cover everywhere and it is so cool. And I'm like, yay, my friend Mara has a book coming out. Just go yes. get it, everybody. Do Thank it. you. Right Flyleaf, right? Yes, Flyleaf Books. It's link is in the chat again. And, uh, or you could buy it from wherever. But Flyleaf is where you'll get it signed. Um, a couple of other places will have book plates later on. Um, I forgot to put my virtual tour information in here, but I'll have it on my site. And, um, yeah, thank you so much, Chuck and Sherry. You guys are amazing for taking time out of your day to hang out with me. Uh, You both have books coming out, uh, Port Willing, on November 15th. (laughs) And so uh, you, (laughs) you guys have a month and a half to get first books of those series and read them yeah. and then pick up book twos twos hurry oh actually grave reservations the ebook is 2.99 or $1.99 through the ninth of this month oh nice so you can get the ebook for that like super cheap pretty much anywhere so uh i should have said that 
this is how good I am at self promo. Okay, like I should have <laughs> led with that. I, no, you can get the first book, and it's a dollar ninety nine for the ebook right now. How about people? Until when? Uh, the ninth. The ninth. Okay, so this October. will go, this will yeah. go up in the so it's good this week. This will go in the podcast yes. feed, and you'll still probably have a chance to to get that uh, that deal. So um, I think. I think I won't raid today. I don't see anybody on. Um, so I will just end the stream. Thank you all. Thank you everybody in chat for hanging out and asking questions. And um, I'll... The stream tomorrow is up in the air because I have to go to my book event and my dad's coming. So I'm not sure how everything's going to go. I may or may not come up. Go ahead and follow and then you'll get a notification. But then I'll be right back with the regular stream on Wednesday doing uh, probably either Validate or uh, The Wandering Village. So thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Sherry. And thank you, everybody in chat. Thanks, Burr. Thanks, everybody. This podcast was produced under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Music provided by Devo Spice. DevoSpice.com Ditch Diggers! This is a free podcast brought to you by the kindness of our patrons. If you would like to also be kind and a patron, go to patreon.com slash mightymurr.